There are a lot of important questions that we face in life. There are questions like, who am I going to marry? That's a pretty good question to ask. But maybe a better one is, do I really want to marry him? <laughs> what am I going to do with my life? Where am I going to go to school? What am I going to study? And what am I going to prepare myself to do as a life work? How many children are we going to have? That's probably a useless question, isn't it, Brian? But we ask ourselves a lot of questions. But there's a question that's very important. One that I think every person must ask themselves. How can I be made right with God? How can I be right with God? Now, there are a lot of false answers. But there's only one true answer to that question. All of the false answers center around what I need to do. What do I need to change? But the one true answer centers around what God has already done to provide that for us. How can a person be made right with God? That's what our passage of Scripture deals with today as we look at it in chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. You follow on the printed page. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who do, does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentile in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The first thing I want you to see is the curse of the law. The Bible speaks here of the curse that is of the law in verse 13. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. In verse 10, the scripture says in this passage, for as many as are of, of the works of the law are under the curse. What is the curse of the law? What is it? Well, let me just take a minute to simply say in answering some questions to give us that answer. First of all, what is the law? 
When the Bible talks about the law, when the Bible talks about the law, when God speaks of the law, what is he talking about? When a preacher talks about the law, if you were to be asked that question, you know what some of you would answer? The law is the Ten Commandments. That is true, but it's only a part of the law. You find in the book of Exodus, you find in the book of Deuteronomy, God's complete law as it is given. The law on how we're to conduct ourselves in the Ten Commandments. The law on how we're to treat other people. The law, how the, he, as he gave it, of the, all of the feast and all of the ceremonial things that were to take place among the children of Israel, all of those things, and, and what do you do with someone who has disobeyed and has hurt someone else or killed someone else or has offended someone else? How do you handle it? All of those things are contained in parts of those two books, the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Exodus. Exodus chapters 20, 21, 22, and 23. In the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy means second law. Deuteronomos, second law. And again, we find the law of God repeated, but it is the same law that is found earlier in the book of Exodus. And when you turn to Exodus 20, you read the first seven verses of that chapter, you'll find the Ten Commandments that are listed there. Some of them are given and some explanation, and some are simply stated. But you'll find the Ten Commandments, and that's the beginning of the law of God. But when you go to get to chapter 21 and 1, verse 1 through 23, verse 17, you'll find that there's another section of the law and it deals with the things that I just told you about, the judgments and if you accidentally kill a man's ox or these kind of things and how that is to be dealt with. And there's a part of the law that talks about the regulations concerning the feast days as I talked about just a minute ago. The feast of the tabernacles, the feast of weeks, the feast of the Passover and so forth and so on. Those are given there in the law. All of these feasts that the Israelites were to celebrate were given as a part of the law in observing these days are parts of the law of God and observing it in your life. And then in the very end of chapter 23, he gives rules for conquest and battle. And all of that is a part of the law of God. The Ten Commandments, the judgments on dealing one with another, the observation of the feast, and how to deal with conquest and victory in battle are all parts of the law of God. The law of God does not consist in fragments that are scattered. The law of God is one whole unit, and it stands together. And that's going to be very important in just a minute when we read another verse or two. All of it is the law of God, every bit of it. Now, the second question is, is the law of God evil? No, God's law is not evil. As a matter of fact, 
Romans chapter 7 and verse 12, the Bible says, Wherefore the law is holy, <clears throat> and the commandments holy, and just, and good. So is the law evil? Absolutely not. The commandments of God, the regulations of God, the rules of God, they're not evil. They're just, and they're holy, and they're good, and they're right. How could they be anything else? They're given to us by a holy God, a righteous God, a perfect God, and it's his law. They couldn't be anything else but perfect and good and holy. It's not man's law, it's God's law. Man has a lot of laws that he makes, and he's constantly amending them, changing them, and adding things to them. But God stated his law one time and one time only, and he put it in his book, and that is the law of God. The law is just. God is good. Therefore, the law is good. Then there's a third question. If the law is not evil, then how can the law <clears throat> bring a curse? It is holy, as I said. It is just. It is good. So how can the law bring a curse? Understand, first of all, that the law itself is not a curse. It is good. It is holy. It is just, as we've said. It is when you make the law try to be something that God never intended it to be and something he never wanted it to, to, to do in our lives, it reveals to me that God had another purpose purpose and the law says I'm to be perfect I'm not perfect so it's got to have another purpose the law says I'm to be sinless and I'm not sin sinless the law condemns me it doesn't matter how many folks I may that may brag on me and the older you get the fewer there are but it doesn't matter how many folks may brag on me it doesn't matter how much my mama thought I was the cutest little thing and sweet as I could be and called me Ricky. I'm a lawbreaker. I'm a sinner. It is impossible for me to keep the law of God. You see, the law of God was never given to save anybody. The Bible says the just... How do they live? By the law? By faith. The just shall live by faith. The law is good and holy and just because it reveals to me that I'm lost. And it reveals to me that I have a need of a Savior and that there is a Savior and his name is Jesus as is revealed in the Word of God. The law is to bring me to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The law is to bring me to the place of trusting in God's plan to deliver me from the curse of the law, for I cannot keep the law. I cannot be perfect, only there's been one to be perfect. Well then, what is the curse of the law? The curse of the law is, are you ready for it? It cannot save you. 
It cannot save you. It can only condemn you. The law points out your shortcomings. The law points out our failures. The law points out our sinfulness. The law helps us to be reminded over and over again that we are sinners. We were separated from God because of our sin. And the curse of the law is that it cannot save you. If I am going to depend on the law, I would have to be perfect. And I'm not perfect. I'd have to keep all of its laws, and I can't do that. It doesn't matter how many times somebody may say, well, you're a good boy. It doesn't matter how nice or polite that I am. It doesn't matter that, that I try to be a good person. The law of God condemns me according to the Scripture. That's the curse of the law. It cannot save me. And yet there are many who think they can be saved by keeping the law. By going to do right, going to change my ways, I'm going to lay down this sin. I'm not going to do that anymore. And they think by making those decisions that they're going to be right with God. But the law has already condemned you because you cannot keep the law. But look what the Bible says in Galatians 3.10 that we just looked at. For as many as are the works of the law are under the curse. As many who are trying to do works to keep the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. That means you'd have to do everything in the law. Now remember what the law includes. Not just the Ten Commandments, but everything in the law. You'd have to do everything in the law, every second, every minute, of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, for your entire life. And beloved, I want to tell you, you simply can't do that. He said, well, preacher, we already know that. But I want you to grow and learn today as we look at what the Apostle Paul is telling us. You say, wait a minute. I do most of it. I've never killed anybody. I've never stolen anything that I can remember. I do most of it. But remember what we discovered a few minutes ago, that the law is a whole as a whole, as a unit. It stands together. Listen to what the book of James says in chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. For whoever shall keep the whole law and stumble at one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have broken the law and you become a transgressor of the law because it stands on its own as one unit. Let's suppose I'm on my way to church tomorrow morning and I'm coming up Pelser from the Y and going to take that shortcut and 
And all of a sudden, I see blue lights in my rearview mirror. I pull over, and the kind officer comes up to my window and stands a little bit behind me because he doesn't know me, and he's watching to make sure my hands are on the steering wheel. And he says, uh, you know you were speeding? I says, yes, sir. I, I think I was going a little bit over the speed limit. I, I, I really wasn't going that much over it, but I didn't run the stop sign. I stopped for it. I didn't even cross the solid yellow line when I was coming down Coliseum Boulevard. I, I didn't cross it at all. I, I didn't pull out in front of anybody. I, 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 he says, I, I didn't accuse you of any of that. But all I did was speed. He said, sir, you broke the law. I didn't do any of those other things wrong, sir. You broke the law. You see, one transgression breaks the law. And that's the reason the scripture declares to us, all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory, the expectations, the, the sinlessness, the perfection of a holy God. All of us are guilty. You broke the law. You see, if you're going to be saved by keeping the law, you've got to keep every bit of it. As I said, every minute of every day of your life. That means you cannot slip up one time. That's the curse of the law. It is impossible that it can be kept. It cannot save you. It only condemns us because it helps us to understand how imperfect we are and how sinful we are. Not only do we understand what the law is, but secondly, let's think about the remedy of the curse of the law. Is there a cure? Yep. That may sound like a very simple question to us, but how could God, who is holy, who is holy and righteous and just, honor the law and yet out of a heart of love and mercy and grace save guilty lawbreakers? How could God be true to his holiness and yet be true to his love? For God so loved the world. How can he be true to his law and still save guilty lawbreakers? How can you get justice and mercy to kiss each other as the book of Psalms talks about? There's a way, not many ways, one way. That has to be one who is his whole life kept the law, who crossed every T and dotted every I, and yet at the same time could become a substitute for the guilty lawbreakers, the sinners. I know somebody like that, don't you? His name is Jesus, God's perfect, sinless, righteous, spotless, holy Son 
became our sins and took the curse of the law that we might be saved. Oh, Paul quotes a verse out of the book of Deuteronomy right here in verse 13. He says, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Now, that's not pointing to the cross. And some folks would teach that it's talking about the cross. There are times when the cross is referred to, such as Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness and all who would look to that that symbolizes sin and the bite of sin being nailed to the cross. It does represent and it does speak of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross who became sin for us. But this man hanging on a tree has nothing to do with crucifixion. It was customary that when a man broke the law, when a man had taken someone else's life, when one had done something that the requirement to satisfy the law was that he was to die, once he's been put to death, he was hung from a tree in the town in the city where folks could come by and know there is a man who broke the law. There's the man who took something from someone else. There's a man who took another person's life and he would be disgraced by the law. It's nothing, it has nothing to do with the way the man died. It was what they did after he was dead with his body hanging on a tree. They would know that he was a criminal who died a death of a criminal and was bearing, here it is, bearing the shame of a criminal. In Deuteronomy, it has absolutely nothing to do with the crucifixion. But the Holy Spirit of God led Paul to lift it out and bring it down through the centuries to us, set down here in the New Testament, Christianity and say this is what Jesus did for us not his cross but his shame twice in the book of Acts the Bible says Jesus died upon a tree and when Jesus was nailed to the tree the cross he became our curse that's what the lesson is he became our curse all of our sin he became that on the cross so in the book of Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 14 says his visage was marred more than any man now the visage is not talking about his his eyesight it's talking about looking at him to look at him his picture was one that was hideous when Jesus was on the cross, the scripture says he became sin. He became the breaker of the law. Be careful here. He became one who represents the breaker of the law, every law of God, the entire law. He represented that as he took on all of the lawbreaker's guilt, all of the lawbreaker's shame, and he took on our shame and became sin for us, according to the word of God. He became our sin. Why? So that we could be made righteousness. 
the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Wow. His body became hideous to look upon. It was such an awful sight when he took on our sin. And actually, the scripture is very clear that he became sin for us. That God even blackened the sky. And it was pitch black dark on the earth during the time of his taking on our sins so that no man could see that awfulness. And they, I don't believe anyone could have stood to see that awfulness that was on the cross. No wonder the hymn writer said, Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ the mighty maker died for man the creature's sin. There is a remedy. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Dear dying lamb, Thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. Thank God that the law was satisfied on the cross. The shame of the law was taken on by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the forgiveness of every sin, every law broken, was paid for by Jesus on the cross. Hallelujah for the cross. And that brings me to the very last thing. I see the curse of the law. I see the remedy of the curse. How do I receive the cure into my life? That's what the book of Galatians is all about. We spent Sunday after Sunday pointing to that truth of what the book of Galatians is all about. It is not by doing good works. It's not by trying to keep the law. It is by faith that we receive the cleansing and forgiveness of our sin. Verse 11 says, but that no man is justified or saved by the keeping of the law in the sight of God. It is evident, it's obvious, because the just shall live by faith. Live by keeping the law? Live by doing good things? The just, those who are justified, those who are forgiven, those who are right with God, live by faith. Verse 14 says that the blessing of Abraham, what is that? It's being saved. Look at back there in verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. What is salvation? It is the righteousness of God being imputed 
into my life. And what is salvation? Is that my sinfulness being imputed to Jesus. He took my sin and he gave me his life. He took my unrighteousness and he gave me his righteousness. When the father looks upon this old boy, he doesn't see the mistakes. He doesn't see the sin. He doesn't see the ugliness of my life. He sees his precious, glorious, sinless, perfect son who gave himself as a propitiation for my sin. He replaced my guilt with his righteousness. He replaced my dying with his life. He replaced my doom with his hope. He has given me life in Christ Jesus. And the law is given to us as the church that we might be reminded as individuals in every day of our lives that we have nothing to bring to him of our works. We have nothing to bring to him of our goodness. We have nothing to offer him of our, our, our worth. We have nothing to offer him except, what does the songwriter say? Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Oh, Lamb of God, I come. Unless a sinner has come by faith, believing on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. But in Christ Jesus, all is cleansed. All is forgiven. Maybe someone here today is still trying to be good enough to be right with God. Can I tell you, you'll never make it. You're doomed to fail. Are you still trying to do some good deeds and and to try to make God indebted to you that he'll let you go to heaven. You see, but God has allowed justice and mercy to kiss each other in his son. And if you receive his son, Jesus, all of God's holiness, all of God's beauty and his purity, and all God's grace will be manifested in your life if you'll trust him. The book of Galatians is rich. It is rich with deep truths that our faith may be concreted it may be steadfast that we walk every day knowing that our future is secure in Jesus and that we will be reminded of that security that security that we have in him 
and the blessings that flow from him into our lives, that it'll take our want to and change it to not want to do the things that are displeasing to him, but want to do the things that honor him. And our want to will become his want to in our lives, and we'll see the glory of God working in our lives every day. I stand before you, not as one who's holy and pure, not one who's righteous, not one who's never made a mistake, not one who lives above the things of the world, but one who has been forgiven, one who has had the righteousness of Jesus imputed into my life. Oh, thank God for the cross. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time of studying your word. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. Thank you for the encouragement that we find that we're not under the drudgery of trying to live good enough to please you and trying to do all the things and cross the T's and dot the I's. Just, Lord, we're just free in Jesus to know that it's all settled. It's been settled in each of our lives. Thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.